Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Over the years, there are times that a team or player could captivate a city or region or maybe even the entire sport itself. For example, take a look at the Detroit Lions and what they did this year in the NFL playoffs. We've seen this in many different iterations. In the 1970s, there was Bronco mania in the NFL and Blazer mania in the NBA. In the 1980s, it was the phenomenon of William the Refrigerator Perry, a defensive lineman from the Chicago Bears. And also, there was the flamboyant running back of the Cincinnati Bengals, Icky Woods, just to name a few. Yet, during the 1990s, there was one sports phenomenon on a much smaller scale that caused ripple effects in an area of the United States that the average sports fan would never in a million years even armed with a couple of cases of brown liquor, would never have been able to put together. Yet in the mid-1990s, South Louisiana had a sports sensation that defied all logical thinking in the world of sports and sports marketing. The Louisiana Ice Gators, a hockey team that was part of the East Coast Hockey League, arrived in in the South Louisiana city of Lafayette. And almost overnight, hockey in Louisiana not only worked, but became the hottest ticket in town. Hello, I'm Dana Augusta, your host of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, the sports history podcast you didn't know you needed. And all in this all new episode, we will talk with former Ice Gators season ticket holder and hockey enthusiast Shane Darawan about the Ice Gators, his great memories of the team, and also what the team meant for the city of Lafayette and hockey in general in the state of Louisiana. Later in the podcast, in the wake of the huge announcement of former Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh agreeing to become the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, we're going to send a shout out to another Chargers coaching great who had success in college and pro football and also had a knack for developing quarterbacks and almost single-handedly turned the Chargers around and changed the way the game of football is played, even to this very day. The circumstances of him getting hired by the Chargers is remarkable. And on the day of the announcement, 
The city of San Diego suffered through the darkest and most tragic day in the history of that Southern California city. The story of Don Coriel and the 1978 North Park plane crash in the shout-out segment. Plus, Super Bowl 58 is set between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers taking place on February 11th in Sin City. This, of course, is a rematch of Super Bowl 54, which took place in Miami in February of 2020. We will talk about that game and the upcoming Super Bowl matchup. That and so much more on this all-new edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, a member of the Sports History Network. At the Sports History Network, we're all about the sports yesteryear, and so we're pleased to introduce you to Row One an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings sports history to life. The Row 1 Gallery features over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, and advertisements in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. Any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. It's your choice. In the Row 1 shop, you can pick from thousands of unique items that feature retro and historical backgrounds dating back to 1876. We have everything from clothing to phone cases to mugs, even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row one for access to the full Row 1 catalog. When you buy from the gallery today, you can instantly save 15% on your purchase. All you have to do is enter the code SHN15 and your discount will be applied. That's SHN15. That's it. Simple. Save 15% off all your prints in the Row 1 Gallery. Just go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row1. And don't forget to check out all the podcasts on the Sports History Network. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Welcome back to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, which is the sports history podcast you didn't know you needed. I'm your host, Dana Augusta, and joining me for this episode is a longtime friend of mine. And what I mean long time, I'm talking about close to 40 years long. Um, he and I have been knowing each other since junior high, I believe. And he's a very, very good friend of mine, but he's also a hockey enthusiast. And he's also what it was a six year season ticket holder of the Louisiana Ice Gators. And if you don't know it, if you live outside of Louisiana, this is one of the biggest sports phenomenons no one's really heard of. But I'm shedding some light on it tonight, talking to this man. So, Shane, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Now, we, now let's, let's, let's go back to the beginning, okay? Let's go back to the early 90s when it was announced that Louisiana, South Louisiana, more specifically Lafayette, Louisiana, was going to be getting a hockey team. What was your initial reaction when you first heard this? So, you know, I'm, I'm sitting down watching the evening news and they were talking about a professional sports team coming to Lafayette. So, you know, 
hockey was the last thing on my mind. I, I was I was sitting there thinking, oh, maybe we're getting a semi-pro basketball team, you know, because they said, oh, something's coming to the Cajun Dome. When they announced it was hockey, I had a stunned look on my face. I could not stand hockey on TV. I would always flip the channel. It was so boring to me. Right. Um, so I was kind of disappointed at that time. Now, I mean, with me, I had heard about it, and I was in college at the time. I had heard about it, and it was because I was at, at Southern, which is in Baton Rouge, and they were talking about also putting a team in Baton Rouge, but they were going to test Lafayette first to see what the market was like, and which made sense, I guess. Um, but because Lafayette at the time, I guess, was a growing city, and um, a hockey team in South Louisiana, to me, really didn't make a lot of sense. But they needed something in the Cajun Dome. And at the time, it would have made probably more sense of having a semi-pro basketball team. But in this case, hockey. And it was the Ice Gators. And when the wheels got rolling and stuff like that, and you had your first game there what experience what was your first game like there i know that eventually it kind of caught on and it, it caught on in a big way to be honest um what was that like your first experience you said that you watched it on television and you went to see it in person obviously it was you being a season ticket holder what was the major difference that you saw well, compared to what it was on tv compared to what it was in in real time well on tv you know it, it was there was no identity to me. You know, it was something that was foreign. Um, and, and I, I, again, watching the news one night and actually the Gators played there. I want to say first two or three games in the, uh, I think it was the Centroplex in Baton Rouge because the ice was not ready in the Cajun Dome. So I saw the highlights and I was like, okay, they got a decent crowd. Did not go for the first couple of months. And then, uh, just kind of started talking about it with my wife and we decided to go. Our tickets were at the top because there was quite a few people. It wasn't sold out when I first got there. Um, and I knew nothing about the sport, like none of the rules. So for me to fall in love with the sport right away and not know the rules, I would probably say at that particular time, it would have been the, the um, aggressive nature of the sport, the fighting, um, because I didn't, you know, why they're blowing the whistle when the guy was way over here with the puck, did not understand any of that. Um, but that first game, it was more of, hey, man, this is pretty cool. The crowd gets into it. Um, the Cajun Dome has never been more full because obviously with with what little bit of events that they had there, aside from college basketball, it, you know, it wasn't full all the time. So it was just exciting. So that's what kind of drew me in initially. Now I could speak from my own personal experience. I, I fell in love with hockey watching NHL, um, the 94 finals between the Rangers and the Canucks. I watched that series pretty much from beginning to end and especially overtime hockey was one of the greatest things I had ever witnessed in Wednesday. And I said this one time on an earlier episode that um, overtime hockey may be the best thing you could actually see in sports. And I can't imagine what it would be like to watch an overtime hockey game in the postseason 
in person. But I'm more than sure you have uh, watching the Ice Gators and their success. I mean, you, they played in two uh, Kelly Cup finals in 1997 and in 2001. Um, and for what I can remember of that early, those er, th- that time, really throughout the entire time they, the Gators were in Lafayette, it was the hottest ticket in town. You agree with that? I do agree. Um, the I attended every playoff game that was there. Um, every year was special when it became playoff time. Um, I think back, uh, you, you, you can imagine the Cajun Dome filled to the brim. People uh, standing outside at the end of the tunnel that you had to walk under Cajun Dome Boulevard with their fingers in the airs to buy tickets because it was the hardest ticket to get. Uh, and it was very, very affordable at that time. Um, but I recall a couple of different times with the finals or playoffs in general. Uh, I think in the two finals we played Peoria and we lost and also South Carolina. That was Carolina. the one in 2001 when y'all played Peoria. That yes, Matter of fact, I have a T-shirt from it that says Kelly Cup Champions on it. Oh, we yeah. were up two games to none. Uh, they came to Lafayette, and um, we're, we're just smoking them at this point. So we're about to go up three nothing, I believe, three games to zero. And so somehow the t- the shirt started being sold. That said, oh, no. Kelly Cup Champions. No. Well, Peoria came back and won, and we lost the series. So there are some shirts out there that uh, are in circulation um, that um, necessarily didn't happen. That's got to um, be a collector's item. Two thousand. It, it, it was a two thousand. Uh, I, I, I stand corrected. It was a two thousand uh, final Kelly Cup finals where y'all lost to Peoria. Y'all lost to y'all lost four straight. Uh, y'all won yes. the first two and then y'all lost the, the next four. And you think that might have been maybe something worthy of a jinx, maybe? Because that's something that you would hear when somebody, a, a team would do that, like start selling championship merch before it even ended yet. You know, it's kind of. Yeah, it, it, it felt that way. It definitely <laughs> felt that way. Um, then they had the other one in 97. Uh, the other one, y'all lost to South Carolina four games to one, the South Carolina Stingrays. Uh, I kind of remember that because I went to a couple of playoff games there. Um, I was fortunate enough to go uh, a couple of the playoff games uh, when they played. I, th- I forgot who they played, but it wasn't the finals. But I went to a couple of earlier playoff in, in, the, in an earlier playoff round. I don't exactly remember who they played. I was in college at the time. I don't really remember much of anything from college. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, what was your – I mean, that had to be up there as for like one of the great memories. But what is another great memory? Now, remember, I know you're from, I know we're from Louisiana and I know there's some things in Lafayette that might have happened that that's not family friendly, especially at a hockey game. But what are some of your favorite memories from that, from, from that era and being a fan of the Ice Gators? So one of the memories I have, um, that has stood with me was I think we were playing it, it may have been Greenville, the Greenville Growl, or it was one of definitely one of the East Coast teams um, near Carolinas, where our entire sound system went out, mm. and the crowd took over. So 
if anyone's ever been to a hockey game, you know, there's music in between face-offs or the puck goes out or, or just any downtime, it's always busy. Uh, but in this particular time, the announcer couldn't get on. They couldn't play music. And the Gators were struggling. And when I say the crowd took over, it was – I still have goosebumps on my arm from that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was just like nothing you've ever heard. Um, and I've been to plenty of other events, other type games, but you felt the energy pushing through you. And the team fed off of that and ended up winning the game. And I want to say that particular game went into overtime. So it was really an edge of your seat type game. Oh, wow. um, but that was probably my top in memory. My second one was we were playing South Carolina. And I don't think this was the playoffs. I think this was like a rematch the following year after they beat us. And there was a bent clearing brawl between the two teams. And I actually have a photo somewhere of me in the crowd standing up with my buddy Doug, went to school with, and we're just like mesmerized. I mean, you've got the goalies from both teams. Everyone's off the bench. There was so much um, equipment all over the ice. It looked like you were walking to an academy and there were sporting goods everywhere. <laughs> I think actually, as doing research for this for this episode, I think I might have seen a picture. Somebody took a picture from way up top from in the Cajun Dome, and the whole almost the whole ice was completely covered with like different type, all kinds of hockey equipment. Might have been skates, right. might have been pads, might have been helmets. You know, and just looking at it, I, at first I thought, well, somebody, it must have been a picture of somebody scoring a hat trick or something because that was the thing you throw your hat on the, on the rink whenever somebody scores three goals in the game. But no, this wasn't hats. These were like equipment. And this was like the yeah. aftermath of it. And it was like the ice was clear. There was no players on the bench. It didn't look like and everything, but it was taken from way high above. And it was, it was surreal. I'm like, okay, what went on here? You know, and then you you said the story like that must be it. That must be the picture of yeah. the whole of the bench clearing brawl that 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 you talked about. Now, as as a resident, longtime resident, native of South Louisiana, as I am, um, what do you? Why was it? What was it about that team or about that sport that you think made it so popular in South Louisiana? Well, I think the newness of it. It was something different. Uh, going to the ice skater game was more than just a game. It was also a uh, chance to gather with your friends. It was a social event. Right. Again, I said earlier, the hot ticket in town. Um, and and the rivalry rivalries that were being created. You know, when the ice skaters first started, they were the only team. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, it was you had Baton Rouge came in in the same league. You had New Orleans. Then you had a team in Alexandria, Lake Charles. There still is a team in Shreveport. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had three rinks alone in the, the, the city of Lafayette or, you know, within that parish. But just 
the 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 kids gravitated to it. The the, the parents could bring their kids. I, I, at the time, I think it was like five bucks a ticket in the upper level. And if you know the Cajun home, they had a lot of seats in the upper level. Yes. So you take a family of four for 20 bucks. And, <laughs> you know, it was a good night out that um, people enjoyed. I remember introducing it to my extended family. I mean, at any time, I had aunts and uncles and cousins. We might have not sat by each other at the game, but prior to the game, we were tailgating like, these major professional franchises do uh, 11,000 plus people doing the chump, which we borrowed from the Florida Gators <laughs> all in unison mm-hmm. playing to, you know, the music every, after every goal. So the crowd participation was there the entire game. And the fact that the ice skaters put a winner on the ice, you know, the Saints struggled for so many years, Right. And they had mild success, um, raging Cajuns football up and down, right? So you really, what you had in the state at that time was LSU. Yeah. All right. And LSU was up and coming, right? Yeah. They weren't what they are now or what we know them to be. Right. So when, when the ice skaters put that, man, people just wanted to be around something that's winning. And the players were part of the community. You know, I belonged to the Ice Skater Booster Club for several years. We hosted a couple of players, you know, because they're away from their family. They're coming from other countries, other states. Um, you get to be friends with them, still friends with a couple. I actually started playing hockey myself. I played for 16 years as a goalie because I couldn't skate at first. Okay. Um, and got to play in the, leagues, the summer leagues with some of these, these professional players. And, um, you know, some of them, he learned from and some would try to, you know, take advantage of you on the ice or on the rollerblades, depending what, you know, because of their ability. Right. But it was, fun. it was fun. And so not only the, the avenue of going to the game, but the kids were playing. There was high school teams. There was, I played for UL for, for one season on the roller hockey team. You know, um, there's LSU teams. There are still teams that exist for these colleges. Um, but I just think because of it being a winner and new right. is what was the attraction. People wanted to be part of that. That is very interesting. That, that, that I did not know about that you actually played. I knew that you were a big fan of it. I knew that you followed it uh, <clears throat> from seeing you on Facebook and what's not. But I never knew that you played. What was that like? Uh, what was that like, Shane Darrowan, as a goalie for a, a rollerblade team, rollerblade hockey? What was that like? What was your experience? So I'm gonna take that? you back. Take you back where it started. So a bunch of us would go on Friday nights on Bank Street, the covered pavilion. Okay, yeah. right. And we had, I had some outdoor. It was like sponge equipment. I mean, it was really. We play with a little puck because it would slide on that that surface. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it really wasn't nothing serious for me at the time. And then um, a couple of the guys that I played with, they're like, hey, we're going to play with this this um, team. Um, they were called the Villains. Okay. And we're going to play at the Meltdown, which is uh, over there off by Don's on Johnston. Okay, I know what you're talking about, yeah. And so now it's called Planet Ice. It's an ice rink. But back then it was Meltdown. It was roller hockey. And so – I get over there and I had a couple practices with them. The team 
a bunch of older guys, right? And I'm like, okay, I know nothing. I don't even have full goalie equipment at this time. I bought some leg pads that were used. Um, I was working uh, at the time, but I didn't make much money back then. So I had to get bits and pieces of the goalie equipment. So I bought a helmet, the leg pads, and I used a karate chest protector. I didn't even have the padded shorts. Okay. And we go out there, and I'm the backup, right? They already had their goalie. Where our goalie gets hurt after the first game. Blew out his knee or something. I don't I don't mm-hmm. recall. So now I'm the goalie. Well, I go out there, and I face a lot of shots. And we had a rough season. I get home, my legs are black and blue because, again, I'm not wearing padded shorts. Right. But, you know, hey, it's fun. I'm young. I can take the pain. Yeah. Funny, I never want to be a catcher in baseball, but I can take the pain playing goalie. Mm-hmm. Remember, I started because I couldn't skate. Little did I know, playing goalie taught me how to skate from the going back and forth. Well, yeah. then another roll of hockey rink opens called Top Shelf. So now we have two of these, and we still have LA Ice and Karen Crow. Well, at this time, I have more money. I fill out my equipment. I've got a nice chest protector. I've got padded shorts. I feel invincible. Because now I don't feel the puck. Right. Well, we we actually get better. And then he comes back, and I'm like, okay, it was his team. I'm going to go find another little team to play with. I'll play with the other team. We start a team. We, we were, Our jerseys were the, like the Nashville Predators. Okay. We had a rival, another rival team from our hometown called the Hurricanes. Those were some chippy games. But I played – Many, many years, many different teams. We even made a team one time where all us goalies, they had different levels, okay? We took all our goalies, and we put us on a team in the lowest level, and we were skating. And our goalie that played for us was a skater from an upper-level team. And we went undefeated two years in a row because (laughs) us as goalies, we play defense knowing how, hey, we don't want to leave our goalie out to dry. Right. Because you know how it felt. You know, and and so I really learned to skate by playing goalie. Um, not the best skater in the world, but look, I can I can do the backward skating and all that and play the puck. You're better than I me. I can't even do that. <laughs> and I started refereeing too. So okay. I got a lot of exercise back in that time. Mm-hmm. And then when um, when I turned forty, I got hurt playing in a softball tournament. So then I pretty much hung up. Everything because at that point I'm like, okay, I'm not invincible. I need to be able to provide for my family, but I miss it every day. But in order to not go play again, I sold half of my goalie equipment, so I wouldn't have that. that yeah, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a temptation for you. It's like you're just sitting exactly. up in the closet, or you're just looking at it in the garage or something. And it's like you know, maybe I can still do this, knowing full way that you can't. Trust me, I've no, had that conversation no. with myself. <laughs> <laughs> You yes. know, talk, you know, with, with my stepson playing basketball, I, I've had that conversation with myself. I know exactly what you're saying. Shane, anything else that I'm, that I'm forgetting about? What is, when it comes down to the ice skaters that you want, every, that you want people that listen to the show want to know about them? What is there anything that you think that the fans, that hockey fans that listen to this program need to know about the ice skaters? Well, one thing I want to say, you know, it was such, a big part of our lives. Um, It was something that I'm grateful that had not only been here once, but the second rendition came back 
Yes. Uh, later in the 2000s. And to me, which may still be here, they remodeled the dome. Uh, anyone knows if a team ceases operation for at least a year, for whatever reason, there's a chance they won't come back. In this case, it was out of their control. Uh, attendance wasn't what it was, but it was still enjoyable to bring my oldest son to the to the original ice skaters and then to be able to bring my younger son who didn't get to watch me play as much mm-hmm. uh, to to visit and enjoy. Uh, regardless if it was 11,000 or 4,000, you know, by that time, Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana had become a hockey town. We knew the rules. We knew what the, the passion of the game is. We, you know, I'm a big avalanche fan now. Uh, was fortunate that they had two NHL exhibition games in the Cajun Dome because of the ice skaters. And I got to see Patrick Waugh, um, oh, wow. play in person. Uh, it was the uh, the the Avalanche played the Blues and the Predators played the Blues. Um, okay. So the two games, but just to be able, because I would have never gone had this not come here, and developed a lot of friendships of people I met at the games, because everybody knows South Louisiana. Everybody wants to have a good time together. They they'll cook food and say, "Come eat with come eat with us," right? Yeah, and um, there are plenty tailgating atmospheres where you had, um, you know, we're, we're in Mardi Gras season, right? Mm-hmm. So you had the uh, what is it? The Cajun Heartland State Fair would come into the Cajun on parking lot, and you had ice skater games and then playoffs and all that going on. And what bet? I mean, you have a fair at the same time you're having a hockey game. And we just had such a blast, many memories. Um, would love to see it come back. We do still have a junior hockey team here in Lafayette, the Drillers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've been to a few games, uh, but to me, you know, ice gators are just, if everybody knew, everybody knew, you didn't even have to say, you know, where you were from. If you talk about ice skaters, they knew about it. Even even when we made road trips, my wife and I and my oldest followed the team a few times on the road trips. Um, and they hated us. They hated us. There was no better feeling than going in another team's barn <laughs> and getting booed because we were the – I don't know. I don't want to call us the Patriots because we didn't win cha- championships, right? Mm-hmm. But we were one of those top echelon of teams that people hated. Because we'd go in the, into their house, beat them up, win the game, and they knew it. And, uh, you know, so whether, you know, you think of that part or you think of the, the, the memories of the friendships and the, and just the memories of the, the games, man, it's, I get excited. I still have all my ice getter jerseys. Some people sell their, their memorabilia. I can't, I can't part with it. You can't part with it, right. Uh, no, it's, it's just, it's a part of me. And it was a part of me for a long time and uh, really, really, truly miss it. Man, Shane, you've, you've educated me, and, and I'm more than sure that you're going to educate everybody that's out there that's listening to this. Um, I really am impressed by every, about your knowledge of this, and I really thank you so, so much for joining me to talk about the ice skaters reminiscing. And when you said that when you have a hockey game right next to a fair the only thing I can think of is that famous phrase that we say all the time, only in Louisiana. 
Only in hey, Louisiana. Yes, <laughs> you Only are so right. <laughs> with well, Shane, once again, man, thank you for joining me. And then we're gonna we're gonna talk more. I'm gonna invite you back on to talk some more sports, man. I know that for certain. You got an open invitation to join me anytime. I appreciate you having me. It was, I had a blast, man. Thank you. You are listening to the Sports History Podcast You Didn't Know You Needed. The Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, a podcast that places a historical twist on today's sports headlines. And just a reminder, if you happen to like what you hear here and you'd like to hear more, please do not hesitate to like and subscribe to the podcast. Also, you could drop us a line here at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. Also, you could follow us on Twitter at historicallysp2. And now to the NFL. Super Bowl 58 is set. The Kansas City Chiefs, led by Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, defeated the presumptive league MVP Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens 17-10 in Baltimore to reach the Super Bowl for the fourth time in five seasons and looking to go back-to-back and become the NFL's new dynasty if they have not already. The Chiefs, who had somewhat of a shaky season, still managed to win the AFC West title and avenge an earlier season loss to the Buffalo Bills by winning on the road during the playoffs, something the Chiefs never really had to do much of over the years. Then turned around to win on the road again as if to prove that it was not a fluke. The Mahomes-Kelsey tandem teamed up for one touchdown while the running of Isaiah Pacheco ran in for another, spoiling Baltimore's magical season. Speaking of magical seasons, the Detroit Lions, who were in the conference championship game for the first time since 1991 and became America's team over the last couple of weeks, really pushed the San Francisco 49ers in Santa Clara. The Niners, who were playing in their record 19th NFC championship game, was led by second-year quarterback Brock Purdy. He used his legs as well as his, as well as his arm to make key plays down the stretch as the Niners held on for a 34-31 win to reach the team's 8th Super Bowl and their 2nd in 5 years. In their last appearance in the big game, it was against this very same Chiefs team who was looking to win their first Super Bowl since January of 1970 in Super Bowl IV. On February 2nd, 2020, in Miami, the Chiefs overcame a 10-point deficit heading into the 4th quarter They defeated the Niners 31-10 as Mahomes was named the game's most valuable player. He passed for 286 yards with a pair of touchdowns and also recorded a rushing touchdown during the game. Now it's a rematch in Sin City. Could the Chiefs join the likes of the Patriots, Steelers, Packers, Dolphins and Cowboys that repeated as world champions? and become a bona fide dynasty? Or will the Niners return to their glory behind a young offensive-minded coach and a quarterback that was once known as Mr. Irrelevant? We will definitely find out these things in a couple of weeks. Coming up after the break, we will send a shout-out to a Hall of Fame football coach who began his most famous tenure with the backdrop of one of the darkest days in the history of a city that would be his home. Also, his hiring was one of the most unusual. The story of Don Coriel and the day he became head coach of the then San Diego Chargers. 
coming up on this new episode of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, a member of the Sports History Network. The Pigskin Tales Podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the sports yesteryear. Hosted by Ross Bliley, the Pigskin Tales Podcast takes you on a journey through life of pro football stars such as Ernie Nevers, Red Grange, and Fran Tarkenton. Plus, you might not know them real well, but you can hear stories about Bill Brown, Grady Alderman, and Dave Osborne. You can learn more on these players at sportshistorynetwork.com backslash podcasts backslash pigskin dash tales. To conclude this episode of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, we do what we always do at this point. It is send a shout out to an individual or team or event in the world of sports that has been maybe overlooked or forgotten about, but is very relevant to this day and sports fans really need to be reminded of. This past week, the biggest domino to fall in the NFL's off- annual offseason coaching sweepstakes was when Jim Harbaugh, who recently led the University of Michigan to a national championship, was named the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, as many of you know, I have been a lifelong fan of the Lightning Bolts, and to me, this was obviously welcome news. It also reminded me of something. On September 25th, 1978, Chargers special team star and reserve running back Hank Bauer was on his way to the Chargers training facility for meetings and practice. As he drove along the freeway, he noticed random pieces of clothing and suitcases and charred machine parts littering the highway. Just then, a special bulletin was read aloud on his car radio saying that there was a major plane crash that happened in the North Park section of San Diego. A Boeing 727 collided in midair with a small single-engine Cessna aircraft, and both planes crashed, killing a total of 134 people, injuring 9, and destroying or seriously damaging 22 residences. It was the worst air disaster in the history of the city of San Diego. Bauer listened to the radio report in his car for a few minutes before entering the team offices. As he entered, he ran into longtime San Diego sports writer Jerry McGee. McGee asked him, So, what do you think of the news? Bauer answered, Wow, it's the worst thing I'd ever heard of. The worst thing you ever heard? The reporter asked him with puzzled bewilderment. Yeah, it's a tragedy. I'm completely heartbroken, man. It's the worst news I've ever heard. Hiring Don Coriel was the worst news you ever heard? Asked McGee. Wait. Said Bauer, we hired Don Coriel as coach? Yeah. Man, I thought you were talking about the plane crash, Bauer said. McGee explained, no, you guys got a new coach. Wait. What plane crash? On one of the darkest days in the history of San Diego was also one of the brightest days in the sports history of that Southern California city. San Diego's great coaching icon was coming home. Now a decade earlier, Coriel was the winningest coach in San Diego state history. Now there are coaches that are considered offensive geniuses, but Don Coriel could be considered an offensive mad scientist. 
During his time at San Diego State, he installed a new formation called the I-Formation and came up with a pro-set offensive alignment. Now, the Aztecs became one of the highest scoring teams in college football through the decade of the 1960s, with future NFL quarterbacks such as Don Horn, Dennis Shaw, and Brian Sype. By the early 70s, Coriel decided to take his flying circus to the NFL, becoming head coach of the then St. Louis Cardinals. He took over the reins in 1973 and would lead the Cardinals to back-to-back -back NFC East titles in 1974 and 75, which is an incredible accomplishment considering that they were in the same division at that time with the Dallas Cowboys and Washington Redskins, two major NFC powers. Yet Coriel couldn't maintain that success in St. Louis and by early 1978 he was let go by the Cardinals. Now, Fast forward to September of that year, the, Car the Chargers were coming off of a 7-7 season under former Los Angeles Rams coach Tommy Prothrow. It was the Chargers' first non-losing season since 1969, and although the Chargers were looking to build off of such of a positive end in 1977, the 78 campaign saw San Diego struggle out of the gate. After beating the Seattle Seahawks 24-20 in the Kingdom, the Chargers would face the Raiders in their home opener. The game would be remembered for all time as the Holy Roller game. That was when Raiders, down by 20-14 late in the fourth quarter, saw their Hall of Fame quarterback Ken Stabler sacked and, apparently, fumbled the ball when he was batted forward by Pete Banaszak, then recovered by tight end Dave Casper for the game-winning touchdown. The play was so egregious that it led to several rule changes that would have denied the Raiders a touchdown if that play was run today. That would begin a string of losses that included a 27-14 loss to the defending AFC champion Denver Broncos and a lackluster 24-3 destruction at home to the lowly Green Bay Packers. Something had to be done. On the day of the infamous plane crash, September 25th, 1978, at 5 a.m., yes, 5 a.m., Coach Prothrow phoned Chargers owner Eugene Klein to offer his resignation as head coach, saying the team needed to be shaken up. <laughs> no joke. So Klein thought it would be remembered. So Klein thought about it and remembered Coriel, who had success at San Diego State, was available. By 7 a.m., while most people were having their coffee, Coriel was on his way to the training facility to become the next head coach of the Chargers, and as they say, the rest is history. Coriel would finish the season as finish the season as head coach and lead the Chargers to their first winning season in nine years, finishing at nine and seven. In 1979, the Chargers became an NFL offensive juggernaut with Hall of Fame quarterback Dan Fouts at the controls. And he became the first quarterback since Joe Namath to pass for over 4,000 yards in a single season. His targets were John Jefferson and Hall of Famers Charlie Joyner and Kellen Winslow. That season, the Chargers would win their first of three consecutive AFC West division titles as sports writers dubbed the Chargers offense Air Coriel. Now even though the Chargers never reached the summit of a Super Bowl, the Chargers became big-time box office as they were the most exciting teams in the NFL. Now, in the present day, Jim Hall is now 
the next coach of the Bulls and will try to lead them to to that elusive Super Bowl title. And he is the latest of a line of coaches that were offensive-minded. True to the Chargers' legacy. And that will do it for this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. This podcast is coming to you from the Bill King Memorial Studio in the Sports Wing of TM4 Enterprises located in suburban Atlanta in the shadow of Stone Mountain. To get more content of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, you can check us out on Twitter at HistoricallySP2 or you can send us a line at Historically.Speaking.Sports at gmail.com. And if you, if you have not done so already, please, please subscribe to the show. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, hell, tell a passerby on the street about us if you think they like sports history. Once again, thank you for joining me and also a special thank goes out to my good friend Shane Darrowan for joining me on this episode. And until next time, stay blessed, stay cool, and be your best in everything you do. Peace. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast. <laughs>